When I was in high school, I was at a friend's house, and it was Saturday, and my friend's mom approached me and said, hey, we're, we're having uh, you know, a breakfast tomorrow, we've got family coming, and other people would love to have you join us for breakfast. And I said, oh, thanks. Uh, my family's expecting me to be at church with them tomorrow, so, um, but I'll, I'll be glad to come and jump in your pool later on in the afternoon. And, uh, and she said, oh, you go to church. She said, you all talk about all that sin stuff at your church? You talk about sin? I said, well, yeah, I, I guess we do. And uh, she said, oh, ugh. <laughs> she kind of gave that shudder. She said, I don't know why, um, why Christians think that they have to walk around feeling so bad about themselves all the time and talking about doing bad stuff and, and talking about sin. She said, I, I believe that after I die that I'm going to come back as a butterfly. And, uh, and I said, great. And, um, you know, I'm, I was probably, what, 17 years old, and here's this woman who, um, who sees, and, and at the time, I think I didn't recognize what was really going on, and I didn't quite understand why. How did we get to talking about her uh, views of the metaphysical and... Um, and this, this picture of reincarnation, how did we get there from this invitation to breakfast so quickly, right? How did, how did that happen? Do you see how that happened? Self-justification is exhausting. I wanted to tell you that story because this is a subtle example of it. And I wanted you to see a subtle example of the way that we're almost always in this pattern of self-justification, even if, even if you're a Christian, even if this morning you feel like you know, you've, you've done business with God, you've made peace with God, we're, we're so prone to self-justifying. And it's exhausting. Can you see how she was self-justifying, how here she's hearing this young, young fellow who's going to church and her, you know, her family doesn't go to church, and, um, and so sort of the shame of dealing with this issue of, sh- of sin. She began to, to, to shame me and, and my background and my family for going to church because, why? Because she felt her own shame. And so immediately then the subtlety begins of self-justification. Oh, well, here's what I believe. I believe that after I die, I'm going to become a butterfly. Now, I'm not saying that to mock. I'm saying that's, that's a picture of us, too. We are so prone to self-justifying. Is there an escape of freedom from this tyranny, this exhaustive tyranny of self-justification? Well, there is, and it's called being honest to God. From the Word of God, Psalm 51, David's psalm, famous psalm, after he was confronted by the prophet Nathan, 
after he had um, committed adultery with Bathsheba, after he had, had uh, damned Uriah to his fate at the front lines of battle, after he had confronted himself with his own sin. Psalm 51. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you only have I sinned and done what is, what is evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have broken Rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Let's pray together. Gracious God, our Heavenly Father, bless us now through your word, not only to our minds to understand it, but to our hearts to receive it, that through our lives we may live it. In Jesus' name, amen. Frederick Beatner said this, great, uh, great uh, sort of a poetic kind of prose writer, uh, written a bunch of different books, Frederick Beekner, he's kind of a recluse up in Vermont, Presbyterian pastor and author. He said, to confess your sins to God is not to tell God anything God doesn't already know. Right? You with me so far? To confess your sins to God is not to tell God anything he doesn't already know. He already knows it already. So to confess it to God, you're not telling him anything he doesn't already know. Until you confess them, however, they are an abyss between you. When you confess them, however, they become the Golden Gate Bridge. I love that image. The very thing that you're hiding from God is the thing that can build a bridge between you. It's the one thing he asks you to bring. How do we have the, the confidence to come boldly before God with our worst that we may have freedom everywhere else? How can we have the confidence to, become, to come boldly before God with our worst so that we may have freedom everywhere else? Let's take a look at being honest to God. Honest to God when we're dealing directly with him, honest to God when we're dealing with each other, and honest to God when we're dealing with ourselves. First of all, honest to God. Being honest to God. You say, Tim, I, 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 I'm honest to God. I mean, I'm, 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 I'm dealing with my sins. I confess my sins. 
Let me suggest to you this morning that there's a step further to take than dealing with your sins, and that is to deal with the condition itself, the condition underneath. Why didn't you, okay, you lied. Why did you lie? Okay, you're gossiping. Why did you gossip? Okay, you cheated on that thing. But why did you do it? Why did you do it? And the permission to go there, the permission to own up to it and to admit it to God is the path to freedom and the golden gate bridge between you. Let's imagine, for, for example, that you got this Thomasville virus, like uh, some members of our household did. You know what I'm talking about, Thomasville virus? Y'all are not looking like you know what I'm talking about. It's the virus that doesn't go away, all right? So you, once you get it, it's like you get 80% better. Have you noticed this? There's somebody that you know that, that caught this virus this year. And you get 80% better, and then you just kind of hold right there. And then you just keep buying uh, Kleenex and buying tissue. And, and uh, so for the next several weeks, you're committed to this new normal of sniffles, right? Now, let's just imagine, okay, you just kind of say, all right, this is just the way life is. You know what? I can just, I can just buy more Kleenex. I can just buy some more Kleenex. It's fine. I'll just hold right here. That's good. Now, now what, if, what if, however, it's a sinus infection? And you actually need the antibiotics, right? I know there's, this, there's, this, um, there's the issue of over-prescribing antibiotics, and some of you have probably run into this already, where they're, now they're becoming more reluctant, and that's probably a good thing in the long run. But what if, you, what, if you, what if you need the antibiotics, and you say, no, that's all right, I just, I'll just get some more Kleenex, that's fine. What I'm suggesting to you is this is an image of how we often deal with the condition of sin even when we're in a small group or in a Bible study, a lot of times what I hear is right answer Christianity. We're not necessarily being honest with God and honest with ourselves and honest with each other. What we're doing is we're, we're rushing to the right answers and we're hiding behind the right answers because we're, we're actually afraid, we're afraid that our God isn't big enough to deal with the real thing, the condition. So a lot of times what we do is we just keep going over the same old ground and we tell the right answers and we rush to the right answers instead of actually getting grace where it needs to go. You know what I'm talking about? So, years ago, I used this illustration where uh, a child is, is hearing uh, something described to him, and he's in Sunday school. You know, you, you know the story, right? So the, the teacher is saying, okay, I want you to tell me what, um, what I'm describing. She's in, she's in Sunday school. She's a Sunday school teacher. She's saying, it has long ears and a fluffy tail and big whiskers. And a little boy raises his hand and says, uh, he says, uh, I know I'm supposed to say Jesus, but it sounds like a bunny rabbit, right? So, so this is... This is how we often deal with, with our faith, with, with, with God. We're, we just rush to the right answer instead of actually becoming authentic and, and dealing with what's really going on. It's like that, it's like that, um, it's like that commercial, uh, the Snickers commercial, you're not really yourself when you're hungry, right? See, the, the problem that we have is called sin, and it's a great, illust- great um, definition for sin uh, from, from Augustine, um, lived in the 3rd, 4th century. Um, he said, sin is disordered love. 
And, and so what I'm saying about the Snickers thing is this. When, when, your love, when, when your love is out of order, when you love something more than God, when, when you love yourself more than God, when you trust in your own means more than God, when, when, when you, you trust in right answer Christianity uh, because you're actually just sort of managing, managing this, this condition that you have instead of actually confessing it fully then you have a disordered love. Alternatively, here's David. He's going for it. I mean, he absolutely swings for the fences when he confesses. Look at this, one through three again. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. Steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin, for I know my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. I mean, he is just going for it. He is gushing with his confession. He's saying, you know what? It's worse than I thought. (laughs) I I heard somebody say, cheer up. It's much worse than you thought. (laughs) See, it's just an amazing and powerful thing. When we finally actually trust God, not just with the sins and right answers, but with the condition that produced it. You know, in, in the Old Testament, in, during David's time, one of the things that he'd be very familiar with would be the, the, the annual, uh, what, what, what it's now celebrated as Yom Kippur, but it's a day of atonement. And it's the day in the life of Israel when, when um, they would take a goat and the priest representing the people and, and the people's sin would put his hand upon the goat in transferring the sin of the people of the past year. And so all of their thoughts and words and deeds and misdeeds and, and, and failures and omissions, all of that transferred onto that goat. And then the goat was sent off into the wilderness, exiled, right? Sent off. And that's where you get the, this modern-day uh, term, scapegoat. And so it's, it's to transfer onto that. And so there's this visible and concrete picture of what it means and what it takes to separate yourself from the condition and how... How serious those, those consequences are and how deep the condition goes. And so the freedom then, so the freedom from self-justification comes from finally being utterly honest to God. Second, we have to be honest to God when we're dealing with each other recognizing this, that the real problem we have with each other is actually a problem that we have with God. Verse 4 says this, against you only have I sinned. You ever notice that and think, against you only? I mean, here's David. He's, he's used his power as king to overpower a woman who innocently, innocently has been observed by him He's used his power to send her husband to death, and it worked. Um, he's, he's used his power to run over people. 
And yet he says, against you only have I sinned? Is David in denial? Is he in denial about what he's done? Or is he actually much more aware than usually you and I are? Let's take a look at that. See, what I think is what, what's going on here is David is actually getting to the heart of the problem that you and I have with each other. When, when you and I have a problem with each other, we, we have a problem with God. How quickly and how universally is it that people look to blame when something goes wrong? Have you noticed this? I mean, it's kind of like our reaction. And have you noticed that whenever you react, I've noticed this with myself, when I react to a situation, a bad situation, a difficult situation, or a challenge, or a conflict, when I react, I make a mistake. Have you noticed this? When I react, I make a mistake. David reacted. He made a mistake. But why? Why? Because, and this is ultimately what it is, he didn't fully trust the sovereignty of God in his circumstances. He didn't trust. He took matters into his own hands. And he's shaking his fists at the universe saying, and at God saying, I don't like the way you're running things. I'm going to take matters into my own hands. That's why we blame that's why we are always trying to balance accounts. I, I remember this, uh, this, this from, from vividly from this, this bus crash I was in in 1999. Everyone wanted to blame somebody for the crash. There were two buses ahead of us that went through fine. There was a flash freeze. We crashed. Was the bus driver's fault? Was it the, something wrong with the, with the equipment? Was it bad judgment on the part of us who were all going? You know, somebody was going to be blamed for this. Why? Because that's one of the ways. You know, Brene Brown had written a bunch of books. Um, uh, one of them is called Standing Strong. She says, one of the things that we do to discharge the pain that we have over our condition and over the circumstances that we're facing is we blame. And it keeps us from taking responsibility it keeps us from recognizing our responsibility. We blame in order to discharge pain. That's why we do it. <laughs> See, when David says, against you only have I sinned, verse 4, he's actually getting to the heart of it. He's recognizing that the problem that he has with other people is really the condition that he has in blaming God and not fully trusting him in the midst of of the problems in the midst of other people. Beth and I had, had a good friend who um, is, is a long way away from here and, and somebody that couldn't be, uh, couldn't be identified through my telling of this story. Uh, but, um, but she and her husband got divorced and, um, and in her interaction with us, whenever she would speak about him, uh, if she ever said anything disparaging, she would apologize for it. <laughs> Incredible. Such instruction to me. She was so wronged by him. And yet, she didn't want to carry the bitterness of that forward. And she recognized 
that in dealing with her feelings about that, in dealing with him, in dealing with the difficulty of conflict person to person, that she was really dealing with the sovereignty of God. Was she going to trust it? That's what David's doing. That's why he's saying, against you only have I sinned. You've heard the expression, um, it, it, when you get over 40, you're responsible for your face. <laughs> have, you, have you heard this expression, right? Uh, everyone over 40 is responsible for their face. What does that mean? That means that, that, the, that, that, that if you're carrying bitterness with you, it's going, to, it's going to begin to show. And the bitterness that you have with other people is really a problem that you haven't fully dealt with with God. We react out of a sense of blame because we're not trusting the way God is running the universe. We have to get honest to God and stop self-justifying. Third and finally, we need to get honest to God in the way that we deal with ourselves. We need to get honest to God in the way that we deal with the person who God loves. I have the sense that you're not very kind to yourself sometimes. Is that true? Isn't it? That sometimes you're not very kind to yourself? Your self-talk isn't good. And you're talking unkindly to somebody that God dearly loves. And he doesn't like you talking to yourself that way. Have you ever thought about that? God loves you more than you love you. God cares for you and wants more freedom for you than you want for yourself. And yet we hold on to this pattern of self-justifying talk. A lot of times it's like this, it goes a little bit like this. Ah, I messed that up. I must be a good person for, <laughs> for feeling so bad about how bad I was. <laughs> Isn't that what we do? It's like, oh, I messed that up. Ah, I feel terrible. Ah. I feel good. <laughs> because I feel bad about being bad. I must be a great person. It's exhausting, y'all. It's exhausting. This pattern of self-justification. And it comes out. You're late to the meeting. Oh, it was traffic. You're late to the meeting. Oh, you know what? I just, my, my wife was supposed to set the alarm and she, you know, I mean, what can you say? Right? You don't even finish the sentence. It's like you're implying it's somebody else's fault, right? Making excuses for ourselves. Here, David is saying, let the bones you have crushed rejoice. He's going all the way down, all the way down to rock bottom. He's saying, take me all the way down. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. What does that mean? It's kind of like what, uh, what Paul is saying in Galatians, Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. God, wipe out everything in me. Let's, let's take it all the way down. Wipe out everything in me that needs to go. Let's do it right now. Let's get it out. He's doing business with God. He's, he's finding a new foundation for his life. He's reordering his loves. He's finding a new center for his confidence and identity. But it's painful because we have to let go of the old ways of doing it that feel good to us. Self-justification. But it doesn't ultimately work. It doesn't work. 
my favorite illustration about this, and, and it's a story I think about uh, periodically. I've, I, I told it uh, here probably about four years ago, and it's, a, it's about a guy named Stipolkowski who was in the Polish underground uh, when the Soviet Union was beginning to, to, to take charge of the region and begin to build for itself sort of a buffer around, around uh, Russia. And the Soviet Union was, was, was running over these other countries, including trying to run over Poland and, and pull Poland into the USSR. And Stipolkowski, uh, th- by the way, this story, uh, you know, I've, I've thought about it for probably 20, I, I probably heard it 20, 25 years ago, but I never knew the source and I never knew if it was a true story <laughs> until this week. And, uh, you know, the more that, that the internet uh, has, has, uh, has life, the more things, more research, uh, your, more research you can do and the more uh, you can find things. I finally found this story and it's true. In fact, I found that there was a, uh, there was a film, a documentary film, uh, produced on the life of Stipolkowski in 1956 called I Am Not Alone. And they took these, these 16 members of this Polish underground, and, and the Soviets were really trying to, uh, they, they had a campaign against faith, against, against religion, against Christianity in particular. And they wanted the state to be... Uh, to be sovereign over all things, including our thoughts. And so, uh, under the pretense of celebrating these 16 people who were championing uh, freedom in Poland, inviting them to, a, to be honored at uh, a, a, an event in Russia, the Soviets invited them in and then isolated each one of them and then showed them everything that they could find that they had ever done wrong. They deprived them of, of enough nourishment. They made them tired. They kept them awake. It was the old sort of back room, smoke-filled room with a, with a naked light bulb and asking them and accusing them, and they broke them. They broke these men, all of them, except for one, Stipolkowski. And Stipolkowski looked back at the Soviets into their faces, and he said, when he was faced with all those things he had done wrong, he said, you don't know the half of it. Do you have that kind of freedom? Or are you exhausted in self-justification? Can you ride it all the way down like David did? Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Can you trust that the very last thing you would want to confess might become the Golden Gate Bridge between you and God covering the abyss? Let's pray together. Gracious God, our Heavenly Father, how we thank you. That you're equal to our need. The ones we know, the ones we don't know. The great need that we have to have a strong and final word pronounced over our life of peace. Lord, I pray for each one here this morning who is struggling with himself, herself. Who's come in and saying, I'm just in this pattern and I cannot beat it. Who's 
wrestling with things left undone and defining himself by those omissions who has stumbled again and done it again and she's identifying herself with her failures. Holy God, we thank you that you've already run ahead and found us there. You've met us in those places that are deep and dark and mysterious. And you've said, peace be still. Come all who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. I will give you rest for your souls. God, this morning, in the quiet of this place, hear our confession. God, as we anticipate Holy Week and all that it means and the images that it brings, the images of a cross, the images of a stone rolled away, we're amazed with the mystery that the place of deepest darkness would be, become the place of new life and a spark of new light. God, would you fan embers into flame this morning in each of our hearts that we may have the light of life beaming in and through every corner of our lives and outwardly. That we would trust you and your sovereignty. That we'd have a strong sense of your presence in our lives and a great confidence and interaction with each other. That we would put away the wagging finger as we look in the mirror and lay to rest the self-loathing that often plagues our thoughts. May we finally and ultimately let the bones be crushed and be raised to new life. For we know that you have been equal to all of the demands of our brokenness. And so we give you thanks for Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen.